Turn to First Chronicles 13. And while you're doing that, uh, I've occasionally had a disclaimer from time to time, and uh, just to clarify some things I've said in the past. And I've been reading this book by uh, Dr. Kyle Stevens. It was the one that he did uh, for his thesis when he got his doctorate a few years ago at TBDI. And he had said some things in there, and it kind of got me thinking about some things I've said from time to time. And I had mentioned a few times that um, we, as the, the bride of Christ, you know, we, it's the time of the Gentiles now, and that we're basically, you know, we're, we're the other woman in the, in the whole grand scheme of things. We're, you know, I was referring to the verse where the Jews, you know, we're used to make the Jews jealous. And what I wanted to clarify was I was in no way trying to imply um, what, what is known as the heresy or the false doctrine known as replacement theology. Um, and what that basically says is the church is replacing Israel. And I'm not, nobody said anything to me, and I'm not saying anybody thought that, but I just wanted to be real clear. Because we're in a day and age where, where uh, true doctrine is really going by the wayside. And it can be, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of false doctrines, a lot of heresies, a lot of false teachings out there, uh, a lot of preaching of the headlines rather than the book. So I just wanted to be real clear that we as the church, we, we, we're the dogs in this whole thing. You know, we, we're, it's just a blessing to get a part of it. And if, if, if the nation of Israel had accepted Christ when they had the chance, then we wouldn't have been part of this thing. But... Uh, we are in no way replacing uh, Israel. We just get to be a part of it. So with that out of the way, um, the last time I preached, I, I, uh, the message was about uh, not holding on to or not binding. Basically, it was, uh, you know, don't hold on to the things that God has told, you, told us to kill, or told us to remove from our lives. And so we talked about some things that, you know, we're, we're to purge. Well, tonight we're going to talk about some things uh, that God has given us, but for whatever reason, through our own fault, we've, we've lost them, or we've let them go, or we've left them behind. So tonight, rather than talk about purging and getting rid of some things, I want to talk about getting some of the things from God back. So it, it, it didn't occur to me until here, actually on the way home today from work, I was thinking about this, and it's kind of neat how God works these things out sometimes. He, uh, you know, he gave me that message, like I said, it wasn't by my design, maybe it was by his, but uh, he gave me that message about purging and getting rid of some things. And now he's talking about, he's working with me on getting some things back. I'm thinking, well, you know, first of all, to get something from God, chances are we have to get rid of something. Something that's come between us, something that's holding us back, something that's just taken up too much space in our life. We have to get rid of it before we can get something from him. And I thought it was kind of neat how he worked these messages out. Last time we focused on Saul. This, today we're going to focus on King David. So... Uh, you may probably, you probably don't even remember that message, but uh, uh, it was one that, that uh, as I started reflecting on, I seen how the two kind of worked together. So this is kind of a series with like a month in between. Um, but if you want to stand, we'll turn to First Chronicles. I'll read the first verse, four, first four verses there. It said, and David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, if it seemed good unto you. And that if it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and the Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring back again the ark of our God to us, for we required, inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Brother Andrew Elliott, would you open us up in prayer? Amen. So pastor was talking about prayer just a few minutes ago, and that's going to be a heavy theme in this message tonight. And uh, like I said, we're talking about the, the title of the message is Reclaiming That Which God Hath Given You. So now we're, we're, we're trying to get something back, uh, something that came from God and something for our own misuse or whatever the case may be, we, we've lost it somewhere along the way. Um, and it could be a lot of things. And the one thing it is not, since I had to clarify my other statement, the one thing it is not is not salvation. Okay, we're not going to lose our salvation. So let me just make that clear up front. Um, when me and Robin first met many years ago, somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple hundred years ago, I think by now, um, she'll probably say it's a couple million. Um, she said, she said one of the things that she liked about me was that I was, uh, I, you know, I was very clear in, in my my speech and my thoughts, and I said what was on my mind. I don't know that she would say that today, 
but yeah. But at the time, she liked that about me. She didn't know what she was getting herself into. But uh, I just think it's important to be real clear. And when you're, when you're, I heard something this morning, um, Dr. Peacock, I think in his opening prayer on one of the services on Sunday, he had said, I hope this is our last service. And that got me thinking. I'm thinking, man, I get to preach tonight. What if this is the last service? And I'm the last one you guys get to hear from this pulpit. All of a sudden, it just took on a whole new level. I'm thinking, man, we need to be real clear in our speech because I don't want to be a stumbling block and I don't want to say something that's going to lead somebody down the wrong path or say something that could confuse somebody or cause them to question or hesitate even for a minute because we really don't know how much time we have left. So it's important to me. And when he said that, I'm like, man, I just really need to clarify some things. And if it means I need to slow down a little bit, maybe back up a couple steps just to, to reiterate or, or just kind of park somewhere for a moment, um, that may be what I do because, I, like I said, I don't want to be the one from this pulpit that says something that can be misconstrued. And in the day and age that we're in, if this thing's going on on YouTube, you know, a lot of people can hear it. And I don't want it to be taken the wrong way or out of context. So just bear with me. Uh, it's not a phase. It's just something that, that God put upon my heart and made me aware of and let you know this is not something to be taken lightly. Uh, and I always knew that, but it was just kind of reiterated this morning. So the first thing I want to look at here as we're going through this is they decided that they wanted to bring back the ark. They wanted to bring it up to Jerusalem. Okay, that's good. But my question is, through these verses that I read, verses 1 to 4, where is the prayer? And this whole plan that they, they contrived, where is the prayer? Now, when I think about David, more often than not, you know, David made a lot of mistakes, but more often than not, he had God in the forefront of his mind and his thoughts. You know, now, he, there was a few times when, when, you know, when he was uh, angry at Nabal and he was going to go up and kill him. And Abigail stepped in and, you know, kind of calmed him down. He, he, I don't think he was thinking real clearly then. And when he was creeping on Bathsheba, uh, peeking at her from the rooftops, you know, he clearly wasn't thinking of God at that point. But mostly, David had God in his thoughts. And, and he would pray and he would, he would consider him and he would think, you know, uh, way before they had the WWJD bracelets, you know, he, he had, you know, what would God do? And he was thinking of, along those lines. And I think because he kept God in the forefront of his thoughts, he understood and he realized that something was missing. Now, he was king and, and things were going well. You know, he was getting victory over his enemies and one by one, you know, things were starting to fall in place. But he realized there was more to it than just that. It wasn't just about the physical things. There was more going on. He said, you know, something's missing. He said, the ark. The ark needs to be up here. The ark is missing. We need to get... We need to get God's representation, that physical thing that they carried, we need to get that up here where we are. And he, he, was, a, he was cognizant of the situation to know that just something didn't feel right. Something was out of place. You know, I think when you're, when you're familiar with something, when you're engrossed in something, uh, you, you just know when there's a change or when all of a sudden something's not the same as it used to be. Uh, if you've ever had a vehicle for any amount of time and you've driven it and you're used to its sounds and you're used to the way it feels and all of a sudden you, st you start sensing a shimmy or, or all of a sudden you hear a noise when you start it up that you didn't used to hear and you think, okay. I always tell Robin and Faith, and say, okay, when, you're, when these things occur, pay attention to what's going on. What speed are you going? Is it wet? Is it dry? Just all these things so it can help me troubleshoot when I'm looking at these things. But the important thing is to recognize there's something different. And the more familiar you become with something, the more in tune you are when things change. But see, there in verse 3, it says, uh, And let us bring up the ark again, uh, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. So when Saul was on the throne, he didn't really care about the ark. It, it was of no concern to him. He was more worried about his stature, his power, his authority, his name, uh, his legacy, he was more worried about the things of Saul than he was the things of God. So the ark meant nothing to him. Now my question is, do you know, do you recognize when there's something spiritually missing in your life? When something spiritually is just, just out of kilter, just a little bit. When you get that, 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 like a vibration in the tire, do you recognize that in your spiritual life? Do you know when it just doesn't feel right? I'm not talking like touchy-feely emotions. 
I know that's a bad word in a Baptist church. You know the feelings. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying you just know it's not right. Maybe you can't quite place your finger on it exactly. You just know it's not right. Maybe you, you realize you've lost your fellowship. Now that's, you know, when, when you're praying to God and those prayers get about here and it feels like they're just hitting a brick wall. They're just not getting anywhere. And you got to sit there and think, of, okay, what have I done? You know, if, if you approach God the right way, that'll be your first thought. What have I done? What, what have I done to break fellowship? Uh, maybe it's your joy. Maybe you've lost your joy somewhere along the way. Maybe something's happened. Maybe you've let outside influences. Maybe you let something that somebody said. Maybe you let fear or some other emotion grab a hold of you, and, you, and you've lost your joy. Maybe it was an opportunity that you lost. Now, I'm talking about a job opportunity or worldly opportunity. Those could come from God. But what I'm saying is uh, the day after Faith and Ben got married, pastor texted me early in the morning. He said, do you want to preach tonight? And I was doing my, at that time, I was probably doing my, my daily Bible reading, or, or maybe I was into the Sunday school lesson at that point. And I thought about it for a few minutes. I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm mentally wiped out. You know, we're, we're going to be serving the rest of the food for, dinner, or for lunch after church. We've got to set up and tear down and heat that up, and I still got to return the tuxes. And I got all this stuff to do after morning service. So I told him, I said, you know, I'm just not, forget exactly what I said, but basically it was like, Thanks, but no thanks. You know, I'm just not in the right frame of mind right now. Or, or I was, just didn't have the time to put something together. And then I started thinking about that. I'm like, man, there was the perfect opportunity. And God said, did not I open the door? I said, yeah, you did. He said, why didn't you walk through it? Because I'm a dummy. And, and I got here, and, you know, we agreed. He said he was going to let me preach in a couple weeks. I'm like, okay. So sometime during the morning service, God started showing me some things, and it wasn't even related to what he was preaching. I'm looking over there, and, and, and not that I wasn't listening to you, brother. <laughs> he started showing me some other things. And uh, it started, he started showing me some things in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's what I ended up preaching that evening. But I said, God, I said, man, I messed up. He said, yeah. I said, I'd like to preach tonight if you'd let me. He said, all right. I said, will you let me? He said, you're going to have to wait until I end the service. I said, okay. <laughs> so after service, went up to talk to the pastor, and he was talking to somebody for probably just a matter of seconds, but to me it seemed like hours, because I'm like, man, come on, come on, come on, come on. So I asked him, I said, hey, you know, I was an idiot. Can I preach tonight? He said, I was just about ready to ask somebody. He said, but go ahead, you can preach tonight. See, there was an opportunity that I just about missed. And why? Because of my own fears, my own, my own self-inhibitions, my own laziness, a lot of reasons, but they all had to do with me. It had nothing to do with God. He gave me an opportunity, and I just I came that close to missing it. My hands are too shaky. I can't make a good. I came real close. Um, so, you know, we can miss out on things like that. Um, but the, the thing is, and I had a, a, a lead when I first started doing sheet metal work. And after I had done it for six months or a year, I just felt like, you know, you hear of King Midas, everything he touched turned to gold. Well, I was just the opposite. I mean, just everything I touched, it seemed like, man, it just went... Just, it was awful. It's just like I made it 10 times worse. And like, I couldn't fix nothing. And I went to him, I was like, man, it's like everything I touch, I just, I tear it up. I make it worse than it was to begin with. And he says, you know, he said, he, he felt that same way. Now, he used some more colorful language than I'm, I can use. But essentially, he said, he went through that same process. And he said, all of a sudden, one day, he showed up to work, and he just didn't mess stuff up anymore. What I realized over time was it's not that he didn't make the mistakes and not that he didn't mess up, but you learn how to correct those mistakes. You learn how to fix them. So now all of a sudden when you waller out a hole, and yes, that's a technical term, waller. You waller out that hole. You take a nice round hole and you make it in the shape of an egg. That's called wallering. So when you, when you, when you open up that hole and you make it a little bit bigger than you should, <clears throat> now you know, okay, now I go to the manual and see how big can I make this hole before I have to get engineering involved. And then, and then I know how to fix the situation. So same thing in our Christian lives. When we make these mistakes, when we, when we do these things, we miss these things, whatever they may be, do you know how to correct it? Do you know how to rectify it? Do you know how to go back and, and make things right? Now, recognizing the fact that, that something is amiss, that's the first step. Okay, you got to recognize it. But then the next step goes back to what Pastor said. you got to pray you got to get him involved in this thing, okay? Once you realize, and he shows you something, and once you realize something is wrong, now you, now you go back to him, and you go back to that prayer. And you, 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 can't, you can't 
not get him included. Okay, you can't forget God in this equation. You need to go back to him. You need, you need to uh, talk to him. And what, I, what stuck out to me, um, verse 4, the last part of verse 4, it says, For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. The people? Well, how about God? You know, where does in this first four verses, where does it say that they approached God? They went and prayed to him, asked him. Let's see what he thought of it. It doesn't say that. It was right in the eyes of the people. Well, that's great. And that's where the problem starts. And that's where we're at today. We do what's right in our own eyes, in our own sight. So we don't get God involved. We, we, see, we, we, we put God in a box. And that's why the churches are in the shape that they're in. And that's why saved people, I'm not going to call them Christians, that's why saved people are in the shape that they're in. Because they look and they do and they act and they think what's right in their own eyes rather than what God thinks and what's right in his eyes and the way he looks at things. Just because it's the right thing to do, Joe Del Rio used to tell guys at the the jail, when you don't know what to do, just do right. What's right? Read your Bible. Pray. Start there. Okay, if you can get those two things down, more will become obvious. Read your Bible and pray. So just because you're doing what is right, it doesn't mean that God should be excluded. I teach Sunday school. Does that mean I shouldn't pray about that thing? You say, well, you just teach little kids. Does that mean I shouldn't pray about it? Okay, I go over that lesson anywhere from two to three times every week. You say, but they're just little kids. Well, I don't want to say something stupid that'll get them. And there's been a few times where I've made some mistakes. A few weeks ago, Ellie said, Last week, you said this. And I said, well, I was wrong. I said, this week, I'm saying this. And I showed her. I, it was beyond that. I showed her in the book. I showed her in the Bible. I said, look, yeah, you're right. I did say that. And I, was, I made a mistake. But you know what? It's important to get God involved in that thing. There's nothing too small or too insignificant to involve God in. If he tells you to do it, and if it's right, still we've got to pray about it. Um, it's right for me to be preaching up here tonight. Maybe you don't think so. But he, he, I wasn't passing up the opportunity again. And guess what? Along with this, there was a lot of prayer. Since Sunday, there's been a lot of prayer about this. You say, well, you only be up here for 30, 40 minutes. I've probably put in a whole, I know I have a lot more than that in prayer since Sunday about tonight. Because going back to what I said earlier, I don't want to say something that's going to lead somebody astray. It's important to read our Bibles. Do you just read your Bible? Or do you maybe... Pray for just a minute and say, God, can, can you, because I don't know about y'all, but when I go to pick up my Bible, then all of a sudden, and, and this is like, oh, probably the third or fourth thing I do in the morning. I, 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 I wake up, I shut off my alarm, I get ready for work, I pack up my lunch, and then I sit down and I read my Bible. So in that short amount of time, we're talking maybe 15 minutes, as soon as I pick this thing up, all of a sudden my mind goes off in about 700,000 different directions. And I'm everywhere but in the pages of this book. I close this book, I put it down, and all of a sudden, you know, my mind is blank. It's like a white piece of paper, a polar bear in a snowstorm, you know, it's just blank. But yet, when I'm in the, when I'm in, in the Word trying to get something from God, my mind's racing. So, I'll pray, you know, just, just settle me down. Just, get, just give me a moment. Allow, allow me to, to soak some of this up. I'm not asking for a new deep theology or doctrine. Just, just teach me something, God. Speak to me. Give me something through your word. That's the right thing to do, and it's the right thing to do to approach God in prayer about it. It's not, there's nothing wrong with that. So as we see here, they, they left God out of the equation. They didn't pray to him. And just because the matter, furthermore, because the matter or the issue may be right, it doesn't necessarily mean that the execution of it will be right. See, David, he had the bright idea. He wanted to build a temple. Now, it was the right idea, but it was the wrong person in the wrong time. See, that's not what God's plan was. Everyone's mind right now is on the Ukraine, as it should be. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But you're aware, even though there's a physical war going on over there, there's spiritual warfare all about us every day, every day that you breathe, every day that you will breathe. So... There's nothing wrong with praying for those people because uh, undoubtedly those in the war zone are in much greater danger than us over here. 
I, I don't uh, discount that. I'm not trying to downplay that. But there's still a need over here for the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like there is over there. So don't forget, you know, if this is, if this is where you're at and this is where God's put you, then this is your mission field. Don't forget your present mission field, uh, uh, waiting or, or expecting or longing for or looking towards your next assignment. Look, you're a soldier, okay, and there's spiritual warfare. This may be your final post. You may not get marching orders after this. This may be where God has you the rest of your time. So this is where your heart and your mind and your thoughts should be towards the lost. Now, do what you can to support them. Pray for them. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, right outside these doors, there's lost and dying going to hell. Probably several since I've been talking. And they continue. And they need to hear from you. They need to hear the gospel just like others do, just like others in a physical war zone. Don't get so busy. Don't get so complacent that you don't have time for God. You know, I think when you get to the point where you no longer have time to include God, well, then you, something is really seriously bad wrong with that thing. You need to stop. You need to lock up the brakes and you say, wait a minute. If I don't have time to include God in something that I'm supposedly doing for Him, then... then who am I really doing it for? Um, I did, over the years, I did hundreds of sheet metal repairs on aircraft. And for many, many, many years, I worked on the same, same aircraft type. And I knew that uh, a certain type of metal was used on the interior. It's, it's a certain temper. It's 2024. Uh, T4 was typically what they would use on the inside of an airplane. It's good for the frames and the longerons and the interior uh, uh, structure. But on the outside, the, the, the metal, the skins, had to be something a little more substantial, little, something that could resist a little more stress. So it was 7075, T6 uh, temper. You say, this is really boring. Yeah, I know. I'm getting, I'm, getting, I'm getting somewhere, trust me. Have you ever built one of those bookcases, one of those... Um, Pressed wood bookcases. You know, we've all had those things at one point or another. And, and you, you get the thing all built up and you get it framed in, you get all the shelves. Well, it's still pretty wobbly. Well, when you, you, when you put that cardboard backing on there and you get it all nailed down, that just kind of locks everything up and it gives it some rigidity. It gives them some strength. That's kind of like the same thing with an airplane skin. If you don't put the skin on it, you know, you just got a bunch of frames and that thing's just wobbly. So that skin is what holds it all together and just keeps it straight and true. So when it's going through the air, you know, it's not flexing where it's not designed to flex. So it has to be of a certain strength, a certain, has to have a, a certain properties which it can maintain. So when you're doing a repair, I, did, I didn't just go to the sheet metal shop and grab something off the rack. I had to know the thickness. Rule of thumb is you had, when you performed a repair, you had to return it to its original strength or greater. Part of that is I had to know the thickness of the material. If I've got a 40,000th piece of skin or, or frame and I go to put a piece of 16,000th metal on there, it's, it's not going to be strong enough to carry the load. So I have to know some things about this metal. I have to know the temper. I have to know the thickness. I have to know the radiuses if they apply. I have to know all this stuff about it. Where do I get that information? It's not written on the airplane. And here's the thing. I said I worked on the same airframe for many years, same type of airplanes. Well, just because a DC-9 made in 1974, that's not the same as a DC-9 made in 1981. They've changed a lot, and they've changed the structure, and they've changed the way that the, 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 the thing is built up because they've learned over the years where, where it's prone to crack. So they've, they've reinforced it. So if I had an older airplane, and I go to... Three months later, go to do that same repair on a newer airplane. I can't trust that what I did two months ago would be, would be what I need to do now. See, I had to go back to the book. I had to go to the source material. I had to go back to, to the drawings or to the, the structural repair manual, and it would tell me, this is what this metal is, and this is what you need to do to repair it. And this is how this repair should look pretty close when you're done. See, I, I had to take the time to go back and consult the source. 
the, the, the people that manufactured the airplanes, the books that they compiled, the drawings. I had to go back to that. Same thing with, with, with the Bible. See, when we have these issues, we need to go back to the source. We need to go back and consult God and say, God, what would you have me to do? I got your word here. I don't know, maybe it's, it's got to be something with me. It's not real clear. Can you help me out? You know, I want to do what's right by you. You know, I think of Martha, and, and she was so busy. She was cooking. She was cleaning. She was probably painting, putting the second cone of paint on the dining room. She was probably sealing the new blacktop on the driveway. And, and, you know, she was making the muffins, and she was breading the chicken, and she was doing everything she had to do. Okay, that's a lot made up. But she was busy. She was busy working, okay? And I thought it was odd as I was reading through that. The only time that she made to include Jesus is when she had a complaint followed by a request. I'm thinking, man, doesn't that sound familiar? We're so busy. We're always running around. And then all of a sudden, we hit a, a, a snag somewhere, and we hit a brick, a brick wall, and then we decide at that point we're going to include God in the matter. But then we start off complaining because things aren't going the way we thought they should. And then we request, probably improperly, how the situation should be resolved. And just like her, we, we don't take the time to slow down. You know what? Here's what I found. Especially when you got kids, you're going to have a dirty house. That's all there is to it. And as the kids get older, it's not as bad. Now, you know, our house is usually just about always pretty clean. And when we go to clean the house now, it takes maybe 15 minutes. Whereas before, it would take, you know, an hour. And then you go over here and spend an hour. And then you come back here and this area is totally trashed again. Because little kids, they just follow behind you, and they undo everything you do. But when you get old, and they're beyond that, you kind of miss it, because don't get no ideas. But the thing is, I don't even know what the thing is. You spend so much time working, and cleaning, and doing whatever, rather than spending the time with Jesus. And what I found out was, you know what, that mess will still be there. And if that mess isn't there, there will be another one and another one. So the mess can wait a little while. Spend some time with Jesus. If you've got a mess in your life, before you start getting out the broom and trying to clean it up yourself, take it to the Lord. Let him, let, make, bring him in on it. Get his input. See how he would deal with it. So all this time we've been talking about, okay, let's do right. You know, and the steps of doing right. Well, at the end of this thing, there's a reward in that. When you, when you do right, and when you do what God says to do, when you, say, when you do the things the way he has put forth, there's a reward in that. You don't have to turn there, but Galatians 6, uh, 9 and 10 says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Amen. So if we just do what we're supposed to do, and if we do as God has called us to do, we're going to get tired. Every year after camp, I want to just go hibernate for like two weeks. I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to go to work. I just want to like climb in bed and stay there because I am wore out physically. And you say you're a wimp. Yeah, I am. I'm not going to deny you. But, it, you know, I'm weary. But here's the thing. I know what we did was a good thing. And what took place that week was a good thing. And I knew there was a reason behind it. So while I am physically tired, I've not, I'm not at the point where, you know, I, man, I just don't want to do this no more. Maybe certain aspects of it I'm kind of getting old for. But what I'm saying is don't be weary in doing what God would have you to do. Okay, don't, 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 don't get to the point where you say, you know what, I'm sick of this, I'm tired of this, I just don't want to do it anymore. Because it says if you faint not, then in due season you shall reap. He's got a reward for you. Now, let's put it in perspective. Unless you're independently wealthy or real good in the stock market or have a real good, whatever, you're going to be working until you're 65 or 67. And at the end of that thing, your, re your reward is retirement. Okay? So you're willing to spend all those years of your life getting to that reward. What's the difference of spending that time serving the Lord, waiting on his reward? which will be far better than what the world has to offer. See, because I think they get all backwards. You give them the best years of your life, and then when you finally get to retire, man, what's left? 
you know, you're 65, 67, you probably got another 10, 15, 20 years in you. You're all wore out. You know, you broke down, you hurt. Oh, I hurt now and I'm only 50, almost. I can't imagine what another 17 years is going to bring. But with God, he's got a reward that's going to last for all eternity. And he's got lots of them. You say, what are they? I don't know, but they're worth waiting for. And they're worth earning. Again, not earning and keeping salvation, earning rewards at the judgment seat. I think it's important to mention that judgment seat fairly often. I think it's good to keep it, have it rolling around in the front of our minds. I think it'll keep us in line, help us to do things the right way. All right, so moving on here, let's look at verses 7 to 10. It says, And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and with timbrels, and cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came into the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before God. Sometimes when you're trying to get something back that you've lost, it's not going to happen right away. Sometimes you've got to be patient. And, and being in too big of a hurry can be almost as bad and almost as detrimental as waiting too long. When I was just starting out in aviation and, and you know, I finally got a, a, a position as a junior sheet metal mechanic, man, I was... I, just, I, I thought I was going to be the best sheet metal guy out there. In my mind, I was going to be the industry leader. I would be the sheet metal guy by which all others should be judged. You know, I was, man, I was ready. To, I was just going to tear it up. I tore it up all right, and not in a good way. See, I wanted to do a good job, but my overanxiousness and my overzealousness, I made a lot of mistakes, and I had to learn to slow down and be patient and, and just take my time. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, cut, what do they say, measure twice and cut once? You know, we used to have a saying, I said, well, you know, I cut it twice and it's still too short. You know, that, more often than not, that seemed to be the case my first year or so. Um, so I had to learn to just, just be patient. I had to learn that while I had a license, it didn't mean I necessarily had the ability just yet. Or maybe I had the ability, but I didn't have the experience now, it's good to have a piece of paper on the wall, and it's good to have some book knowledge, but none of that can replace experience. And, and experience is something that can't be bought, and experience is something that can't be rushed. It has to be earned, and it takes time, and you have to be patient. So here we see that rather than doing it the right way, rather than doing it God's way, they did it the Philistine way. They said, well, hey, this is what they did. They threw it on a cart, hooked it up to a couple cows, and went on down the road. Must be good enough. See, they bypassed the book. They didn't consult the manual. They figured what worked for the heathen will work for us. Well, except for the fact that they're God's chosen people. They had a higher set of standards for them, but beyond that, they also had God's rules and God's laws, and they knew or should have known, or had access to know what God expected and required of them. And rather than taking the time to figure out what that was, they did it the world's way. They were too much in a hurry to pay attention to the details. Now, we're not going to do it for sake of time, but if you go over to Second Samuel chapter 6, and, and here in First Chronicles chapter 15, we'll, we'll, we'll get to 15 just a little bit, just a couple verses. But if you read through there and you read those accounts of, this, of what's going on here, you'll see that when they took the time to do it God's way and they slowed down and they got patient about the matter, you see how things worked out and how, how, what a contrast it was when they did it God's way versus the world's way. And that right there is a perfect example for us today. You know, you, you think, well, how do I get ahead? Well, if you want to get ahead in the world's way, you know, you, you, you do whatever you got to do. Dog eat dog, right? Every man for himself, you just do what you got to do. You want to get ahead God's way, keep your head down, keep your nose in the book, pray, just do your thing. 
Don't, don't draw attention to yourself. The best witness you can be in the workplace is go in and be, be faithful to your job. Look, if you can just show up on time and do a good job, you're already ahead of probably about 75% of the workforce anymore. Amen. So that right there will be a testimony in and of itself. And then if you get the opportunity to speak of Christ and you don't screw it up with your attitude or your temper somewhere along the line, okay, then, then now you're doing things God's way. Okay, now you're doing things the opposite the way the world would do it. So when they did it his way, they had the right people in place. They got the Levitical priest. They had the right method. They, they would stop after six steps and they'd offer a sacrifice. See, it took them time. They had to slow way down. And the more time invested, and I purposely use the term invested as opposed to spent. See, you can go, you can go to McDonald's, you can spend a few dollars, you can get a burger, you know, maybe a meal. And within 12, 24 hours, whatever the thing, that thing will work its way through your system and it will no longer provide you anything. But when you invest in something, now that, that's saying, okay, hold on a second, when I'm investing, that means you're going to get a return. Maybe a lump sum, maybe, maybe this return will be over a period of time. But when you invest, that also means that you are spending time in it, and you are nurturing it, and you are, you are dealing with it, and taking the time to continually go back to it and add to it. So rather than just spending time in God's Word, we need to invest time into God's Word. And as I said before, expect to get something from it. Look, if you spend quality time in here and you go to him humbly and open-hearted and, and, and honestly, then he's going to give you something. He'll show you some stuff. And that is time well invested because you're going to be getting something back that's eternal, that this world can't have, can't take. So serving God means sometimes we need to learn to slow down. Now, back when I used to play a lot of video games on the computer, the benchmark was 60 frames per second. If you had a video card and you had a system that could average 60 frames per second or better, then you had a pretty good system and, and it would run most games and, and, and uh, you know, that was a high-end machine. I don't know what the benchmark is now. I don't know if it's still 60 or if it's higher. I don't know. But this world has us going. It's 60 frames per second all the time, 100 miles an hour. It's just constantly going. You notice commercials are getting shorter and shorter. That's because you know, they know you can't keep your attention, so you just got to constantly put something up there. Just keep it moving. Keep it flashing. Just go, 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 go. It's always something new. Never, the, the scenes never linger. You, know, you watch the old movies back, uh, uh, the old John Wayne movies. You, know, you, you might see the same scene on the screen for several minutes, and it's just the conversation is, is like, you speak, I speak. You speak it's, like, it's not really acting. It's just, okay, your turn to talk, so you say your lines, and I'll say mine. But now it has, progressed, it has progressed to a point where the acting and the scene changes and the camera angles and the music especially, everything is so fluid that it just draws you in and it just keeps you going all the time, just constantly moving. The eyes never have time to focus on anything because you're just constantly getting changed. I'm getting wound up just thinking about it, making me nervous, making me a little jittery. We need to learn to slow down. And... I have a job, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for this. Now, I don't, I've told people, I said, I, I don't necessarily get the satisfaction. I'm, I mean, what I do now is I sit at a desk and I look at paperwork all day. Don't exactly get the same satisfaction as when I would go out there and fix or repair something or replace a part, and, and now all of a sudden the plane is able to make the system and go make money for the company that night. That was exciting. What I do now is like three steps above the morgue, I think. But... You know, there's a lot of good things to it. There's a lot of life quality, if not maybe, you know, job quality involved. Um, but one thing that is required in my job is I have to read a lot of really, really, really boring documents. Documents produced by the Federal Aviation Administration. A bunch of lawyers. So these things are not exciting. There's not action. There's not a cliffhanger. It's just boring. <laughs> I was talking to Kayla and Travis the other, a couple weeks ago, and, and most of you know I'm a, I'm a board game nerd. I like to play board games, good ones, not Life and Monopoly and all that. But I was talking to him, and Kayla's like, I still find it funny that you like to read game manuals. And I do. 
Last night, as I was preparing this message, it was about, about this time, about 8 o'clock, and, and it was, I was down in the basement, and I heard above me, it was all quiet. I'm like, man, it's quiet up there. Like, I'm just about wrapped up. Like, I'm gonna, I looked on the shelf, and I seen a game, and I pulled it out, and I got the book out, and I said, I'm going to go up. I'm literally thinking this. So, yes, I am nuts. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to curl up on a couch with a nice game manual. It's quiet. <laughs> so, I get up there, and there's Robin on the couch. See, it was quiet, but she was just trying to find something to watch. I'm like, oh, man. You know, I, I just wanted to get a blankie, recline. I, was, I, I had it all played out in my mind. Well, it didn't work that way. See, he said, you are absolutely certifiable nuts. Amen. I agree. But here's the thing. All of that, I've said all that to say this. All that technical, procedural reading that I do keeps me in line. So when I go to this book in the morning, there's no shift in gears. There's no, hold on. Now it's not Luke Skywalker and Darth Tater fighting anymore. Now, you know, now I'm going to Saul and, and David and Javelins and, and Jonathan. And oh, oh, there's none of that. It's very literal reading and, 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 and interpretation to very literal interpretation. And I look down and think, man, what a blessing. I don't hardly read any nonfiction anymore. I, I haven't done that in a few years. So everything I read is either historical um, I, say I don't read any fiction. That's what I meant to say. Everything I read is, is, is Bible or, or historical or technical or whatever the case may be. I don't read fiction. I don't read novels. Um, so it's, it's, it's helped me to slow down. And that's a good thing about reading. It, it really does, it slows you down. And I believe it, it helps your mind just kind of focus. It gets you off the TV. It gets you off the, 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 the phone. It gets you off these things that constantly want to speed your mind up. And when you're reading, it kind of slows you down. You have to focus, take it line by line, precept by, upon precept, here a little, there a little, just as the Bible says, just the way it should be. See, we, we get to moving too fast. Sometimes we just got to bring it back a little bit, slow it down. I used to work with a guy. I, I, I still think, I can't believe this. I don't know what the point of this is. He told me one day, he says, my wife gets irritated because I watch YouTube videos at two times speed. I said, well, why would you do that? I mean, I've listened to some audios. If the speaker is very slow, I've, I've sped them up a little bit. And as long as I can still comprehend what he's saying, but why would you watch a video at two times speed? He says, well, that way I can watch more videos. <laughs> what? So your whole point in life is to what? Watch as many YouTube videos in the time that you have? I, I don't understand this. I understand why his wife would get mad at him. I got mad at him. I'm like, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? But again, in this world where everything's got to go, 100 mile an hour, just got to go, 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 go. No time to rest, no time to think, no time to, to spend with the Lord. In line with being patient and not getting in a hurry, sometimes we have to realize getting those things back, they can be difficult. They can come at a cost. And we have to realize that a lot of the problems that we face, they're self-induced. You know, think about it. how many times has, has our disobedience to God and to His Word caused our problems? You know, I, the Bible says that the devil is a, is a roaring lion see, uh, roaming to and fro in the earth and seeking whom he may desire. And I know I just mixed about three or four different verses there. And I believe all that. He is, I believe he is all that. And, 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 and you know, he is seeking who he, whom he can devour, and, and he is looking to tear us down. He is looking to implant seeds of doubt and whatever he can to keep us from working for Jesus Christ and being useful for him. He can't have our soul, but he can, he can snatch our time, and he can, he can take away our, our effectiveness, and I believe he's very good at that. But there are some times I think we just make it way too easy on him. We, we give him way too many open doors. Like that time I talked about the Indianapolis and... and when the captain, because the, the, the heat that they were in operating in the South Pacific there in the summer, he left all the, 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 the hatches open so he could get ventilation. So then when the torpedoes struck, there was nothing to stop that water from going from compartment to compartment to compartment to compartment. You know, sometimes it's not convenient and it's not easy, but you've got to keep the hatches shut. And sometimes it may cause a little discomfort. But that captain, that night, if those hatches had been dogged like they should have been, 
then the flooding would have only went a few compartments, and they may still have sunk, but at least maybe they could have got a proper message off on an SOS before the radio room was flooded and the radio equipment was shot. Sometimes, guys, we have to, we have to focus and we have to, we have to close the hatches in our life. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. And yes, it's going to slow us down. And yes, it'll prevent maybe movement into areas we shouldn't be moving to anyway. But if we can seal off some of those compartments and, and, and limit the devil's exposure in our life, then we'll be better off for it. Sometimes we just leave him wide open. And he has no problem marching in unannounced. And then, beyond that, we compound the problems even further when we don't accept responsibility for our actions. You know, I, I expect it from little kids. What'd you do? Nothing. Did you, I mean, clearly they did whatever. You know, they made a mess. Did you make this mess? No. Well, your mother didn't make it. See, Faith had it rough. Because for five years, she was the only one. There was no one else to blame. And then these two came along. Now all of a sudden, it's like, well, it could have been this one. Unlikely this one. But you never know. So then it became a little more difficult to pin it down. But clearly, you know, if you just kind of admit what you did and own up to your, to your actions there, uh, things would be a lot easier. And I like, stay where you're at, but in verse uh, 13 of chapter 15, David says, And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded it. No, that's the wrong verse. For because ye did it not at the first, he's speaking the Levites there, the Lord our God made a breach upon us for that we sought him not after the due order. So David stops and he says, you know what? The trouble that we're in now, because we didn't seek him. See, because in verse 11 and 12, it says of, of chapter 13, it says, David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? See, he had to realize, wait a minute, I brought all this on. I'm the king. Just like Saul had a responsibility to the people, so did David. The difference there, David owned up to it. Saul never did. And when he did, he did it half-heartedly, and he didn't do it from his heart. David meant it. So he said, guys, we screwed up. We never sought God. We didn't get him involved. So we have to realize the source of the problem. We have to realize we have to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror every morning and realize the one we see in that mirror is the cause of our problems. Now, don't stand next to your wife and, you know, oh, I see my wife in the mirror. It must be her. No, no. Just, just look in the mirror by yourself. It's all you, and it's all me. So, you know, we see that David, as I read in verse 11, David was angry. But then he realized the problem with him, and he realized beyond that, he got to the point where he realized even though at first he was angry that Uzzah had died and God had killed him, he realized God was perfect and righteous in what he did because God gave him all the rules. He told him what to do and what not to do and how to do it. He provided everything he needed, but they disobeyed. So he realized that even though he didn't like the outcome, God was still righteous and, and perfect and holy to do what he did. God's still on the throne and he's still in control. The anger, and I, and as I look at that and I'm thinking about, man, that anger, that displeasure, it, it led to a fear. It says he was afraid of God. And I don't think that was the right kind of fear. There's a difference between a fear of the Lord, like a respectful fear. And then there's a fear of, you know, sticking your hand over a fence with a rabid German shepherd on the other side. You know, you should be afraid. If you got any sense, you'd be afraid. There's a difference between those two types of fear. And I believe... That anger led to the wrong kind of fear because it was an emotional fear that David had experienced. And it led to a doubt and it led to an uncertainty. He says, how am I going to bring the ark back home? How are we going to do it? He went from, yes, let's do this thing to, now what? Now how are we going to do this? See, all that fear, that led to, to uh, uh, it led to doubt. It led to uncertainty. It, it, it led to to. You know, uh, am I even doing this the right way? Should I even be doing this? How is this going to happen now? You know, and, and that's what fear can do to you. A um, little bit of fear, I think, is good. It's like pain for the body. Pain uh, tells you when your body is reaching its limits. 
So a little bit of pain, especially when you're working out, can be a good thing. That's what I'm told. Clearly, I don't work out. But that's what I hear. So that, that's an indicator. Well, fear, I think, is the same way. A little bit of fear is healthy because you know you're going somewhere that can be dangerous. But when you let that fear control you, when you let that fear take over, and you let that fear start putting seeds of doubt, and you're questioning God because of that fear, then you've gone too far, and you're at the wrong place. You need to back away from that thing. And that's what David did. He backed away, and he realized the problem was with him. They didn't seek God. Let's finish out this chapter, and we'll hit a couple verses in chapter 15. We'll wrap it up. Verses 13, uh, it says, So David brought uh, not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. And then the first three verses of chapter 15 says, And David made him houses in the city of David, prepared a place for the ark of God, pitched for it a tent. And David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen. See, now he's stopping, he's thinking, you're getting the right people involved. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God, not the people, and the minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared for it. So we see that God's blessings come when you do it God's way. And he realized, uh, over in, uh, he realized that Obed-Edom was getting blessed for having this ark in his house. And he was getting all the benefits from it. He realized that to get a blessing from God, that that ark still needed to be moved. The job wasn't done. Christians, our job's not done. Okay, no matter how, how difficult things may be and, and no matter how tired we may be and, and, and no matter what obstacles we face, our job is not yet done. And we see that David got jealous for the things of God. He wanted that ark. I think just like you can have a fear of the Lord and be in the right, because that's what the Bible says, you've got to have a fear of the Lord, I think you can be jealous for the things of God. And be right about that, too. The Bible says don't be jealous. Well, if I'm jealous because my neighbors have a nicer vehicle or a nicer house or something along those lines, that's one thing. That's wrong. But if I'm jealous because I want something from God and, and I, I want to get what he has to give, and I realize that I'm the one holding myself back, and I've got to get some things straightened out, then that's the right kind of jealousy towards God. Because you're wanting what he has to give, and you're willing to do what he tells you to do to correct it and get it the right way. So David wanted the ark and this tabernacle up there where everybody could benefit from it, not just the house of Obed-Edom. Have you ever wanted something that bad, like that, so much that you would you'd do whatever it took? Um, I think it was my sophomore or freshman year in high school. You know, I knew I wanted to work on airplanes. I mean, I just, I, I loved reading about them, building models, everything. But I had uh, spent a couple nights for a few weeks, one or two nights a week, and I forget what it was, but I'd go out there for a couple hours to um, the Aeronautical Institute where I eventually went to school. And I realized at that point that that's what I want to do. That's, what, that's where I want to spend my career. That's what I want to work on. That was enough exposure to me to, to, to solidify that thing. So we had a program through our high school. And you would go to tech school half a day, and you would go to high school the other half a day for your junior or your senior year. Well, most of the, the, the classes, there was no limit. You know, you, many people wanted to go to hairdressing school or automotive mechanics or whatever, but due to the cost of the airplane uh, technician school, they would only allow two from our school. So there was two openings. And by golly, I was going to get one of them. I, I wanted one. I was determined. So I started going, I submitted all my paperwork and application or whatever needed to be done at that time. That was 30 years ago. I don't remember all the details. I just know that I had one goal in life at that age, at that point. And I had never talked to my guidance counselor once. Well, for the next several weeks, I would bug him two, three times a week. You hear anything yet? You got that opening yet? What do you know? And finally, he got sick of seeing me. And he's like, look, you'll get a spot. I'm like, well, how do you know? What makes you say, I need, to, I need to see it in writing. I need to see that my name has been accepted and I'm in that school. I did get the spot, but one of the spots. Um, but the thing is, I was willing to do whatever it took to get what I wanted. 
to get that, that spot, to go to that school. Do we have that same tenacity, the things we do for God? Or do those things just kind of fall by the wayside? Well, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll, I'll, I'll be there someday. But right now, I have other things I need to take care of. See, that's the kind of mindset we have. Just like David. He said, you know what, I'm going to bring this ark up. It's been gone long enough. It's been three months where it shouldn't have been. It's coming back. What do I got to do the right way to get it back? He did whatever it was needed. That's the way we have to do uh, in regards to things of God. We got to learn to just stop at nothing. Um, I'm getting a little late, so I'll, I'll just sum it up here. Um, at one point in our life, we've all lost something. Whether it's joy, fellowship, maybe we've lost some compassion. Maybe we've lost some gratitude, an opportunity, something along the line. If you've been saved for any amount of time, you've lost something that God has given you. There may be some opportunities that are no longer available. Maybe he shut that door. But that doesn't mean you can't use those to learn about future opportunities. And, and use those experiences and learn from them so you don't repeat those mistakes. So you can restore your fellowship with Jesus Christ. And you can get the joy and the gratitude. You can get the compassion. You can get all those things. He doesn't take them. It's not like the Old Testament where he removed his spirit like he did with Saul. And he didn't give it back. That's not the way it is. You lose a compassion. It's because of your own hard-heartedness. You can get that thing back. You just have to submit. You have to humble yourself. But he'll, he'll give it back. You can get that joy back. Um, it's going to cause you to swallow some pride. No doubt like David had to do. It's going to cause you to get into the book. Go back to the, the source here, material. Um, it's going to cause you to, to humble yourself before God and submit. And then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then once you get all those things right, God will start working with you, and he'll start dealing with you, and he'll start giving you some of those things back. But you've got to be patient. And like I said, how bad do you really want it? Um, General Patton, when he got assigned to the European theater, when he, when he first landed over there, he, he uh, bought some maps. I don't know how he did it. They didn't have the Internet, so I don't how do you order maps, mail order, in the middle of a war zone? I don't know. I guess he, whatever the case, as the, as the account goes, from his own money, he bought maps of Europe. He wanted to know the roads. He wanted to know the, 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 just the most minute detail. He wanted uh, topographical maps. He wanted to know the, the places to avoid so that the enemy wouldn't catch him in a bottleneck as he was marching toward Berlin, as he was... He was confident he was going to get to Berlin, and he was confident he would get there before the Russians. He just wanted to know the way. He wanted the maps. He wanted the detailed maps. So he ordered some maps, and he, he bought some maps. And when they finally arrived, he looked at them, and he was mad. And, you know, and, and if you've ever read anything about General Patton, he, he usually had a few colorful phrases that he would utter. But when they asked him, why are you angry? These are the maps you waited for. He says, these maps don't show me all the way to Berlin. They only take me so far. See, he was mad because those maps didn't show him everything, all the way. But yet, we have something that shows us everything, and we disregard it. We toss it aside. See, Patton wanted to know, down to the most minute detail, how to get to Berlin, the best way to do it, the quickest way, the way that would, he could inflict the most damage upon the enemy and save his own men. See, that's not what we're concerned about. We look at it and say, what's the quickest way I can get this done and still make Sunday brunch? How can I, how can I speed this thing up? Because I got to go fishing. Ball game on the night. Whatever. Spider-Man starts in 25 minutes. I got to get to the theater. Whatever the case may be. See, we, we shove aside God's roadmap. We don't want to know how to get all the way. We're just happy with getting a few feet down the road. Are you jealous for the things of God? Or are you more jealous for the things of men? What, what spurs you on? What keeps you going? What gets you wound up in the morning? You get up, decide you want to serve God? Or are you just happy serving man and making a paycheck and maybe giving God a few minutes here and there as you get the opportunity? So, um, the things that God's given us, if you've lost them, you can get them back just up to you to decide how you want to do it and how badly you want it. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for an opportunity.
I just pray, Lord, that uh, help somebody tonight. Well, you help somebody with your word, Lord, and I, I just thank you for uh, just using this vessel, Lord. I love you, and I just pray as we leave out of here, just bring us safely uh, back the next appointed time, Lord. I pray for uh, the prayer requests, Lord, and just ask again that you would just deal with them according to your will. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. 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 It's a great story. Right motive, uh, wrong method. Uh, he, he cost a man his life. Uh, David finally got the right motive and the right method, and it worked. Uh, it's all you got to do it the way God said to us. I saw my mom today, but he just said, We're taking some prayer requests. I'll do the praying tonight just to because it's late a little bit later than normal, but well, it's not later than normal. I'm normally this late myself, but 